Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Share with you today um, before we look at God's word together. Um, first is we had a very good report on Lisa. Um, yeah, thank you all for praying so much. The, uh, the uh, doctor said they found no cancer, that the, uh, said that they got it all in the, in the surgery. It was such a blessing to hear. And also, uh, they, they have targeted this particular mutation, and they have a specific uh, drug that she's taking. She's taking a pill every day. She is kind of having to adjust to it. It's causing some dizziness and some other things. Uh, so would you pray for her as she adjusts to this medication? I would leave it to my wife to get a rare form of cancer that uh, you know, only 3,000 people in the U.S. get. But uh, uh, this particular one is targeted by this precise medication. And uh, it's, uh, it's formulated to prevent it ever coming back. So just an amazing... Yeah. I, I just sat in amazement as the doctor shared this information with us. And every day I see her getting stronger. And uh, she keeps saying, well, I don't feel like myself. And I'm like, but you're looking more and more like yourself every day. So thank you for your prayers uh, for her. Um, the other thing is, I know December is a very busy month, but we have a couple of opportunities. Uh, they're side by side, which is a little unfortunate. But on December 4th, uh, our ministry that, that is really helping people in the area of addiction, uh, particularly not only people who are recovering from addiction, but also families that are devastated by addiction. Uh, our ministry is called Walk by Faith. They are having a night of awareness and testimony on December the 4th. It's a Tuesday night. It's here at the church. It's going to be an awesome opportunity of, of uplifting and encouragement and awareness. And then the next night, we, we don't always do them two in a row, but we're going to do it. Uh, the very next night, which is Wednesday night, December the 5th, one of the ministries that has really shaped our church, that's been a big part of our ministry here, has been the College of Prayer. Our church has uh, been involved in the College of Prayer. I've been involved in College of Prayer for over 20 years. We've uh, had amazing experiences in countries like Uganda and Colombia, Ecuador, and God has used our church to take um, just a revival to these parts of the world. And so we want to hear a little bit about what God is doing in the nations on that Wednesday night. So a night of worship, a night of prayer together, and a night of experiencing what God is doing in the nations. That's Wednesday night, December the 5th. Uh, these are both fantastic opportunities for you to be enriched in spirit. So I just invite you to come and be a part of that. Today, I always hate it when series are ending, but today is our last in our series on the Abide series. Uh, this has been so, such a blessing to me, but I have to tell you that what I've enjoyed maybe the most is my wife saying, you know, I worked on this for months and it was all so that I'd be prepared to go through this trauma with cancer. And uh, the, these teachings that we're sharing with you, these are not concepts. These are things that we are living, practicing, working in our lives, and we're sharing them with you, not because we hope they work, but because we know they work. And because they work in the deepest tragedies as well as the greatest successes. And so what we want to talk about, what I want to end on, is the, is the objective that Jesus has in this teaching. He really has, he has one objective, and it, it is that you would experience the fullness of the greatness of what he's put inside you. That he has given you such potential and he wants it realized. And the Father is at work realizing that potential in your life. So I was, I was reading a story this week that I thought sort of captured this idea of potential. Uh, one of the great Welsh preachers that I love is a guy by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. And he was traveling in Italy, and he came to this area. He'd seen so many statues and so much art and beautiful things, and he'd seen all the marble and all the granite. And he came to the cemetery, and there was this, this granite monument kind of thing. And it was, just, it was just 
thick with, with stone. I mean, it was just so thick. And yet, an oak tree had broken right through it and gone and cracked and gone right up through the granite. And he thought about it for a minute and he said, that all started with an acorn. And he said this, and I, it just struck me so much. He said, God put the potential in a little acorn to destroy granite. That same God has put unbelievable potential in you to destroy every obstacle, to destroy every curse, to destroy every conflict that you're in, and to emerge you victorious. But you and I, we live, we live as regenerated people. We live as new creations in an unregenerated world. We live as resurrected men and women in an unresurrected world. And so there are all kinds of things that try to speak to you to say you don't have that potential. Last week I was preaching uh, across the river and I, I heard a story that that struck me about potential. There was a young African-American man and he was told as a young man, you'll never be anything but a worship pastor. That's all you can ever be. That's all you can ever hope to be. You can't be anything else. Fortunately, he didn't listen. And he became the campus pastor at Nyack College and he was a wonderful campus pastor. And as he was carrying out his, his assignment as a campus pastor, then the Lord called him to be the lead pastor. And the church where I was preaching last week was the church that had been transformed by his leadership in six years there. And I was preaching his commissioning service to be the district superintendent of the Metropolitan District of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And that man's name is Kelvin Walker. You see, only God knows your potential. Just because other people said things about you doesn't mean that they understand you. I can still hear in, my, in, in my, my head my dad's words to me. He used to say, son, do I pay you to be good? And I said, no, dad. Then you're good for nothing, he said. <laughs> and he would laugh just like you did. But if you hear that enough, you go, well, I'm good for nothing. And every time you fail, you say, see, I'm good for nothing. Or every time it doesn't go the way you want it to go, you go, I'm good for nothing. So you have to decide, friends, are you going to listen to the words that have been spoken over you or the failures of your past? Or are you going to listen to the words spoken to the acorn that calls it out of the ground, raises it up through concrete, through granite, through marble, and emerges as a mighty oak tree? It's your decision. The truth is that you have everything you need to reach your potential. Scripture says that you've been given everything for life and godliness, that even through the promises of God, you, you have become partakers of the divine nature. But here's how Jesus put it. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. What's he saying? He's saying if you are connected to Jesus then the roots of your life are now rooted in everything that heaven is. Jesus is not rooted in earth. He's rooted in heaven. His character, His attributes, what's true of Him is what's true of the Father, of the Holy Spirit. And if you are connected as a branch in the vine, He has penetrated your DNA with His DNA. The limitations are not on His part. As a matter of fact, you're not limited to any more than what your mind tells you you're limited to. You say to yourself, I'm not patient, but Jesus is totally patient. You say to yourself, I'm not loving. Jesus is love itself. You say, I have no strength. You have the strength of heaven flowing, but you've decided to damn it up with your unbelief. Ashley had to say those words twice. And yet, I still think many of you don't believe the truth that fear doesn't stand a chance when you stand in His love. I think something has blocked you where you think, yeah, that's a nice saying, but it's not true of me. The fact that it's not true of you isn't because it isn't true. It's because you're damning it up with your unbelief. 
You're believing what's been said to you. You're believing your circumstances. You're believing whatever it is that limits you. Jesus is committed to you becoming great. The Father is intimately involved. There's nothing going on in your life that the vine dresser isn't addressing. Jesus said that the, the vine dresser does this. If there's something in you, if there's a branch, if there's something in you that's not bringing forth fruit, then the vine dresser cuts it away because it's not useful. He, he, he'll cut away a boyfriend, a girlfriend. He'll cut away a job. He'll cut away all kinds of stuff that's not going to produce greatness in you. He has and reserves the right to disassemble you. Would you do something for me for a minute? Would you take your finger and just draw a circle around yourself? Okay, draw. All right, now imagine that circle is your comfort zone. Is it big? Is it small? It's up to you. Some of you have big comfort zones. Some of you have little ones. But I will say this to you. No matter how big your comfort zone is, your potential is outside. So God has to disrupt your comfort to get you to your potential. But what happens is we resist Him. How can you do this to me? We resist Him. And instead of getting to the place of our potential, we want to come back to the place of our comfort. And so the vine dresser is committed to your potential, not your comfort. So the Father of our Lord Jesus is involved in such a way that you will bear fruit. He will not fail in bearing fruit in your life. But here's the promise that you and I have over our life. 2 Corinthians 9.8 God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times having all that you notice I'm emphasizing all you will abound in every good work. Every time you say, oh, I I lack this, I don't have that, you're not living by the promise. Even secular psychologists are saying that every one of us wakes up with a poverty spirit. We wake up and go, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. Oh, this is going to be a bad day. Oh, this is going to be a long day. Oh, I don't think I can make it through this day. Every time you do that, you are submitting to the spirit of poverty and not the spirit of abundance. You say, but it's true. Is it really? It is your reality, perhaps. It is perhaps all you've experienced, but there's a super reality. There is a supernatural reality that says that waiting for you every morning you get up are all things you need to abound. Now, the, now you get to say, well, God, you're a liar and my body's telling the truth. Uh-huh. Or you can say, my body's a liar and God's telling the truth. Uh, all right. Because what happens is most of us have conditioned ourselves to pity, not potential. Oh, I feel so sorry for myself. I never get enough sleep. Oh, you know, my diet is bad. Oh, I, don't, I, want to, I want to exercise, but you know, I'm really tired. Let me just eat a cookie. That'll, that'll involve my biceps. If I eat enough, 20 cookies. Look, he wants you to be responsive to the spirit of abundance. It's His call on your life. And He has everything provided, not according to what you deserve. It says, in all grace. In other words, it's not about you deserving it. You could have screwed up everything up till now, and the grace is waiting for you. And you could say, I don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. It's it's waiting for you to experience abundance. Now, it's two ways that this fruitfulness... And manifest. And they're both important. And there's an outer fruit. In other words, there's this every good work kind of thing. In Ephesians 2, 10, it says, you are His masterpiece. You're His workmanship. You're His poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand for you to walk in. In other words, till the day you have your last breath, He has an assignment for you. 
till the day you go home, He has meaningful work for you to do. And it's not just fake it till you make it. It's not grin and bear it. It's satisfying. It's fulfilling. It's your sweet spot. But you're resisting Him because you're telling Him what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. You tell Him your plans and say, bless them. Let me tell you, everything going on is funneling you towards saying, God, I don't even know what I'm made for. But you do. I tell you, one of the greatest moments of my life, one of my friends, an older pastor, he was up in the Georgia mountains. He had had a rough pastor, a rough life. But in 1998, we went to Peru together. And he, he just was on fire. He was seeing people delivered. He was seeing people come to Christ. He was preaching with power. He, he looked at me and he goes, Mike, this is what I was made for. <laughs> I mean, he, he, just, he, he had found the masterpiece. He had found the satisfaction and fulfillment. You know why? Because he stayed in the Father's hand. But see, you can't have that outer work if the inner work, the inner fruit, isn't a reality. What many people do is they just try to restrain. That's not fruit. Restraining your anger is good for you because it's not good to let it out. But it's not fruit. It's not, it's not enough to say, I'm restraining my lust. Yeah, restrain it, but wouldn't it be better to be free of it? Instead of being characterized by somebody who's kind of trying to keep from being greedy and envious and gossipy and all of this stuff. Instead, you are so filled with love and patience and peace and kindness and joy and gentleness and self-control that you don't have any room for those things anymore. That's the fruit the Father is looking for. And so therefore, if we're going to be fruitful, we have to be faithful. Would you, would you take these three words home this week? Would you, would you use these words in your mind and think this is what the Father's doing? And, and the three words are this. Fruitfulness, faithfulness, and you're going to be surprised at this one, but frustration. As we end this today, I'm going to talk to you about the necessity of frustration to get to your potential. Okay? Now, if we look at this, if we're going to be faithful in order to be fruitful, then your inner life has got to be a priority. Amen. Which means that you cannot be a fool and you cannot be simple, but you must be wise. And the wisdom of God is basically this, that you're able to manage the reality of your life well. Amen. That you manage reality. This is important. Not fantasy, but reality well. And so managing reality well means that you have to make your inner life a priority. In Proverbs 18:14 it says this, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Now the spirit in the Old Testament it began as the idea of the wind, the wind itself, the wind in the sails kind of thing, and it became known as the spirit being the force or the power or the energy that you have to live. So what began to, as wind ended up as the human spirit, and it was about the energy and the passion to take on life. So what, what, you know the saying sometimes it says, that just took the wind out of my sail. You know, that idea that, that if you have no energy, if you have no passion, if you have no motivation, then it begins to feel like life is not even worth living. So a crushed spirit is a spirit where the energy has been taken from you, where the passion does not exist, where the motivation... And the truth is, in order to change, you have to have affection that expulses the old affection. A new affection has to come in to get rid of the old one. So if a crushed spirit is there, there's no energy for change. There's no motivation to change. And so sustaining your spirit becomes the very cause of the Holy Spirit so that you can move to your potential. Think about it in this way. Somebody who has a crushed body can be sustained by the fact that they have a healthy inner life 
But somebody who has the healthiest body will be destroyed by a crushed spirit. Now, I, I, this is really, really personal to me now because I, when, when Lisa found out she had cancer and as she went through all of the things that she had to go through, she lost all her strength. She said to me one day, I can't believe that yesterday I was doing all of this and now I can't move from my bed to my chair. And I, and I watched, though, as the crushed body radiated an alive spirit. My wife was sweeter. She was kinder. She was more patient. Let me tell you, she had no willpower to do that. She had connection to the vine. And the vine manifested in her branches. Now, I've been around people whose bodies were perfect and whose lives were pretty doggone good, but you listen to them, and all you hear is the crushed spirit of defeat, the crushed spirit of problems, the crushed spirit of nothing's ever enough, nothing's ever good enough. And when you see that, see, see the, a crushed body can endure a living spirit, but, a, but even a living body cannot endure a crushed spirit. You will not be fruitful with a crushed spirit. Your inner life matters. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. When Paul prays, if you, ever, if you read the prayers of Paul, it's interesting what's missing. He never prays, Oh God, please make it so that no one ever persecutes this church. He never prays that. He never prays, Oh God, keep them out of jail. Keep them from being martyrs for the faith. He never prays anything about their circumstances. But he does pray this over and over again. Strengthen them in the inner man. Are you hearing me? See, if you don't understand how essential to your fruitfulness, how essential it is to get to your potential, is your inner life, then Proverbs says you're a fool. Not me. I'm not saying that. Well, actually I am, so... I'll put my Bible up in front of me. It says you're a fool. That you, have, you are not wise. As a matter of fact, it says if you have put your investment in anything other than your connection to the vine, then you're a fool. If you think your money will make you secure, you're a fool. If you think your job will make you valuable, you're a fool. Anything that you have invested in that is not your inner life connected to Christ makes you foolish. So here's how we began to deal with the fact that many of us, if not all of us, have been crushed in spirit at times. As a matter of fact, what I want you to understand is that God alone knows how complex a person you are. It's so interesting, people often say to me, if I just knew why this happened, then I would be fine. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. One, you will never understand why, because God is bigger than you are and his plans are way above you, and your life is really a tapestry that you will not completely understand until you get to heaven. But the other thing is, you are so complex that one simple answer will not trigger you out of a crushed spirit. As a matter of fact, I want you to realize today, you are an incredibly complex human being according to the scriptures. And what I'd like you to do is to turn to your neighbor and tell them so. Will you do that? Point at them and say, you are a complex human being. You are not simple. You are complex. So in other words, all right, come back. Com you complex human beings. In other words, if you just try to simplify your life into just little, thing, little aspects, you will not see the redemption of the Lord. The Lord is redeeming the fullness of your humanity. All right, so Proverbs clearly, clearly shows that when we get crushed in spirit, it has a physical element, an emotional element, a moral element, and it even has kind of a, an existential or our deep sort of meaning of life element to it. So the first is physical. The Lord says in, in Proverbs 14.30 through, through Solomon, He says, 
that when you give yourself over to envy or strife, when you give yourself over to gossip and over anxiety, it causes your bones to rot. That by not dealing with the things in your life according to what's good for you, you are limiting yourself and you're even making yourself sick. Your physical being matters. Think about this with me. When the wounded prophet Elijah was resigning from his ministry, God sent an angel to this depressed prophet. The first thing the angel did was to tell him to sleep. Then after he had slept a while, he made him eat. Angel food cake, I guess, but uh, <laughs> just to see if you're awake. All right, so he, and then he again put him to sleep, and then he gave him some food again. Now, notice he didn't give him a lecture. He didn't give him a sermon. And what happens with many of us who are Christians, if you come to us and you say you're depressed, you're crushed in spirit, we say, have you prayed enough? Have you read your Bible? Do you, did you do your quiet times? Did you rebuke the devil? Are you standing on the promises of God? Have you renounced all known sin in your life? <laughs> we reduce it down to the spiritual, and the Bible says we are so complex you can't reduce it to only one category. The physical matters. If you're hurting, you're hurting. It's real. Now, notice something that in, in this is that in Proverbs it also says the emotional matters, the relational matters. In Proverbs 12, 25, it says anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. In other words, if you are given over to worry, you're given over to fear, you're given over to anxiety, if you're given over to those things, you will not reach your potential. Fear is limiting. It does not improve you. It destroys you. But notice what it also says. <laughs> I have a competitor today. <laughs> I can out-yell you. Now, it also says this, and, and, and those of us who have been around friends who are good friends realize that the right word in season lifts your heart up. You know, the wrong word takes it down worse. But the right word comes in and not just makes you cheerful, but it lifts the burden and lets you know, I'm not disconnected, I'm connected. Amen. Then the... The moral aspect of it, many of us do not realize you cannot live to the fullness of your potential if you are, are just skating around morally. Listen to what Proverbs says. The wicked flee when no one pursues them. In other words, if you've not dealt with your guilt, which is I've done wrong, and you've not dealt with your shame, something's wrong with me, then even when you're not doing wrong, you will feel like you're doing wrong. Or you will feel like you don't want God close to you. Now, I'll give you a silly illustration. Every now and then I go above the speed limit. And so, because I have done that before, anytime I see a policeman, I feel guilt. Or fear, or anything. I check my speedometer and say, and I hear Lisa going, How fast are you going? <laughs> so the wicked flee, <laughs> even when no one's pursuing them. Just the sight of a policeman makes you. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, when you're morally ambiguous, when you don't have clarity about your forgiveness, God seems like a policeman, Whoa. not a loving father, Whoa. not a friend. Wow. But you see, when you clarify this thing, when you realize if the Scripture says, if I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Listen, it didn't say He's faithful and merciful or He's faithful and excusing. It says He's faithful and just. You know what that means? He'll never accept a second payment for a sin that's already been paid for. 
He accepted the payment of Jesus, so he doesn't need a payment from you. So then what happens is, Proverbs says, but the righteous are bold as lions. You want to get to your potential, you've got to deal with your sin. You've got to deal with your guilt. You've got to deal with your shame. And once it's dealt with, then the scriptures start to become really plain to you. It says you can boldly approach the throne of grace in times of need and find the help that you need. The question is always whether or not have you dealt with the gray areas? Have you dealt with the ambiguity? The moral issue is often the issue that keeps most people limited. So that they're not moving like lions. They're moving like impoverished people who hope but do not expect. Then the last one, this one's a little bit deeper in a sense, but it is a true one, and that is that everything in this life is going to come to an end. So anything you're enjoying has a tinge of sadness to it. Because even your best moments, even the things you love the most, they all end. I know some of you are going to really grieve this, but someday This Is Us series will end. <laughs> so even as you enjoy it now and you cry and you, you love this one, you hate that one, all of this stuff, you realize that series, this too shall end. And so we're always tinged with sadness. Even in the most, most joyful things that we have together, we still go, but it's not going to be like this again. Are you hearing me? You see that, unless we're realizing you're not a simpleton and you're not a fool, but you're becoming a wise person, you realize that the Father, the vine dresser, is working on your physical, your moral, your emotional, your relational, and He's working on giving you a joy that's not circumstantially produced. You're not going to find that anywhere else except in the vine. But then... I, I, I want you to I really want you to get this part with me. See, if you're not connected to Jesus, then there are no seasons in your life. If you're not connected to Jesus, there's no fruit. You are the vine if you're not connected. So whatever's in your life is up to you. Now God is gracious, He's good to both the evil and the and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous, all get the rain and the sun. But, but the truth is, what we're really talking about is people who have intentionally said, I'm connected to the vine. I'm connected to Christ. Jesus' Father is my Father. If that's true, then you will go through seasons. You see, and one of the most important seasons in anybody's life is winter. Most of us, you know, we don't like winter. There's, a, there's this aspect about winter I don't like. One, it came too early this year. <laughs> Number two, though, it ends my favorite season. I love fall. I mean, fall in New York makes it worth living here. You know, it's just, it's the leaves are so beautiful, the Christmas of the nights, the, when the sun's out in the fall, there's just nothing like it, and winter ends that. And then you look, and it's gray. You know, I want to paste leaves back on my trees, you know. And, and I mean, it's just so gray. And, and so you, it feels like nothing is happening except loss. And so one of the things you begin to realize if, if you're in the vine is you have to go through winter well. And winter in the spirit is that those seasons when you feel disillusioned or you feel disappointed, you can actually feel depressed during these seasons. And, 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 and they come in such a way, and one of the messages of winter is that you're not in control of life. And you will never be in control of life. So you have to stay faithful even in the dark days. Now, I mean, I, I, this has become very personal for me. I, I still cannot tell you what it felt like in that morning at Good Sam when they said, this, isn't, this is not the flu. You know, this is not appendicitis. This is cancer. And I, I, my whole world has turned upside down since that pronouncement. Um, but on top of that, to hear a week and a half ago that the school that has meant so much to us as a church, as a partner, as a team, made a school that's been here for over 120 years is now leaving us 
is disappointing to say the least. Somewhat disillusioning. Now, uh, please take this away. I mean, I just want to tell you the depths of what winter means sometimes. You know, when I first came here, I didn't come as much for Risen King as I came to be a teacher at NIAC. As a matter of fact, in 1998, Ron Walburn had a vision over on Hook Mountain. He had a vision that he and I would train the next generation of pastors together. And we would do it in the classroom. So we waited for years for the right opportunity. And so when Risen King came available, there was maybe 70, 80, 90 people, whatever it might have been. And I said, okay, that sounds like I could teach and do the church at the same time. So that my original intent was to come and be more of a professor. Now, I absolutely fell in love with all of you. And this church has been the greatest opportunity of my life. And so this has been far more the satisfying, fulfilling aspect of this. But there still has been this part of me that has loved training pastors and missionaries and being able to develop young people in a way that, that has been so special. And in one day, it was taken away. You understand, if you're going to go through the things to get to your potential, you can't keep saying, I have to have control. You can't say, how could you do this to me? You have to manage reality. You know, if only this hadn't happened. Do you know, if only is a stupid statement. It has happened. It's not going to not happen unless you're Doctor Who and you can go back in time. I don't think any of you are. So what do we do with these disappointments, with things that disillusion us or things that might even depress us? Well, one of the people that helps me a lot is a writer and an educator by the name of Parker Palmer. He has written so elegant, elegantly on this journey. He went into a deep depression. And he explained some things about it that helped me a lot. So I'm going to share with you. He said, as we experience the disappointments of life, it is natural to close down, to hide, even to isolate. However, even depression asks of you to move toward more openness and vulnerability, more shared humanity and mutual healing, even and perhaps especially when the subject is so difficult that words seem to fail. What I'm trying to say to you, and I want you to hear it, is you getting to your potential is actually counterintuitive. Your intuition when you're hurt is to close down. Your intuition when someone has betrayed you or disillusioned you is to isolate. It's even to make isolating statements. I'll never be fooled like that again. I'll never be hurt like that again. All of those are actually your enemies. The truth is that even in disillusionment, even in disappointment, you have to become more vulnerable. You have to become more open because the more you close down, the more you disconnect. Look at what depression is defined as. It's the ultimate state of disconnection. It deprives one of the relatedness that is the lifeline of every living being. Now, Parker Palmer's not talking about John 15, but Jesus is. He says, if you're connected to the vine, then you will have the resources to overcome the depression. Amen. If you're connected to the vine, you'll have the resources to overcome your disillusionment. You won't close down, you'll connect more. You won't, you won't hide, you will reveal. Because you're safe in the vine. You're not safe in this world, friends. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He even said, they hated me, they will hate you. But I have sent you a comforter in the midst of this. But you have to lean into You understand something? The pain in your life is not evil. Your conclusions about the pain will either be righteous or unrighteous. They'll be truthful or they'll be lies. If your conclusion are lies about your pain, then the pain denies your potential. Are you hearing me? So let me take it a step further. He was, he was, real, he was depressed for a few years. And he had a friend come to him and say, why do you look at your depression as an enemy? Why not look at your depression as a friend? 
Here's his response to it. He said, amid the, assault, the assaults I was suffering, the suggestion that depression was my friend seemed impossibly romantic, even insulting. But something in me knew that down, down to the ground was the direction of wholeness, thus allowing that image to begin its slow work of healing in me. I started to understand that I had been living an ungrounded life, living at an altitude that was inherently unsafe. The problem with living at a high altitude is simple. When you slip, as we always do, we have a long, long way to fall, and the landing may well kill us. The grace of being pressed down to the ground is also simple. When we slip and fall, it is usually not fatal and we can get back up. Do you understand? The vine dresser is grounding you. You cannot get to your potential in fantasy. Fantasy about yourself, about your marriage, about your work. All of those things are contradictory to the spirit of the truth. The spirit of truth will not allow you to live one second more in your fantasies. He will ground you so that then you can get to your potential. And that is why sometimes the best thing is to be disillusioned. Sometimes it's the best to be disappointed because it's showing you where you have misplaced your expectations, where you have believed counterfeit promises instead of the real promises. The other thing is this. God will never let something else in your life be ultimate but Him. And He will not allow your prayer life to give success to your idols. He will only resource when he is ultimate. Then he will become the means to that end. If anything else is the end, he will not be the means. Are you hearing me? You're like, yeah, I wish I hadn't come today. Here's the enemy of you. Yeah, actually, this is good stuff if you'll let it come on. It can save you a whole bunch of money. <laughs> and get you happy at the same time. So here's the enemy that we all face in terms of our potential. And this is Parker Palmer again. He said, One of the most painful discoveries I made in the midst of the dark woods of depression was that a part of me wanted to stay depressed. As long as I clung to this living death, life became easier. Little was expected of me, certainly not serving others. So some of the issue that many of us have is we would rather have pity than we would potential. We'd rather sympathy than love. We'd rather people say, oh, you have it so bad. And because we, we, our receptors aren't always that healthy. And so part of it is to learn, okay, what is keeping me in my spirit from being able to be all that God wants me to be? And so what I did here is I shared with you my own journey. I realized that there were two big enemies that I faced. The one was certainly pride, but the other was a cowardice that comes from fear. Now, here's how it worked out for me. I, I would let pride evaluate my self-worth on how successful my ministry was, on how successful the church was. So I was getting my value from my success instead of from my identity. And what, what the Lord said, and, and look, you put whatever is your temptation. It could be family, it could be your money, it could be your job, it could be your reputation, it could be any of those things. But anything that you say, this gives me success, you have said that that is your pride. And so the Lord will touch your pride because the Bible says He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so in order to get to your potential, he has to destroy your pride. And in order to destroy your pride, he actually has to make you convinced that you no longer need your pride in order to be successful. And that the way that happens is you root yourself, you anchor yourself in your identity in Christ. Now, the way that for me, I, I began to see that my identity had taken such a deep root, is I began to be able to resist being defensive. Because when I was criticized, I would always get very defensive. And my pride was like, you can't criticize me. I'm doing the best I can. 
I'm trying to be the best that I can be. How can you criticize me? And what it was doing is it was revealing self-protection. And so you can't get where you won't be able to go on your own if you're still protecting yourself. And so I began to open up and say, okay, even in, even in criticism that's wrong, there's something there that I need to listen to. And if I can't listen to it, it's really about me, not them. They're still idiots, but... but <laughs> Come on, you got, you got to track with me on this. Sometimes, you understand, it will be complete idiots who criticize you. But the issue is, how are you responding to it not whether or not they're idiots. The defensiveness doesn't matter if they're brilliant or they're stupid. It's pride whether they're right or wrong. The issue is how does it make me feel? It helps you to see, oh man, my pride is still in the way. And then the other is this cowardice that comes in as a very subtle form of pride where... Life is about me being safe, not taking care of others. See, when it's all about me, then I have no resources for you. And it's so fascinating, is I will not get to my potential by trying to take care of me only. Are you hearing me? You see, and fear makes you close ranks. Cowardice says, nobody is in this for me except me. It's a disconnect. Well, I want to finish on this. This, this, part is, this part is so important, this faithfulness in the, in the winter. But I want to finish on this aspect that there is an important aspect that God has brought into every one of our lives that gets us to our potential, and it is the emotion of frustration. No masterpiece is ever produced without friction. Friction creates greatness. You know, the artist who really does a great work has struggled and worked at it and, and, and is dissatisfied with it and comes back again and again. A song, a beautiful song, takes friction and then it resolves it or a movie or a play. Friction is important. Frustration is important for your potential. Look at this with me. I love this way of looking. Frustration is an admission that we are baffled, checked, blocked, neutralized in our faith by people, circumstances, opposition. Frustration can legitimize our negative emotions, giving them a place in our experience. Then frustration becomes discontent that opens the heart to lethargy or crushed spirit. We become irked, resentful, disappointment, disappointed, gullible to defeat. We become owned by pessimism. You cannot get to your potential as a pessimist. We must learn how to use frustration and not be used by it. Here is a statement that can change your life if you let it. To be frustrated is to admit that I do not possess at this moment the required amount of patience, peace, and joy for the circumstances of my life. Will you say that with me? Read it with me. To be frustrated is to admit that I do not possess at this moment the required amount of patience, peace, and joy for the circumstances of my life. This is radically different than saying, oh God, change the circumstances. This is using the circumstances for an upgrade to your life. Here is why the prayer promise in the abiding life is so essential. He says, if you abide in me, Jesus, and my word abides in you, the promises of God, then you can ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. So when you get frustrated, what are you lacking? Are you lacking love? God, I need love. He'll lavish you with love. Are you lacking patience? You have flowing in you all the patience that Jesus has. You can appropriate his patience. Are you lacking joy? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Are you lacking joy? Then he will teach you how to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But if you keep going, get me out of this, he'll say, no, I got you into this. And you're going to stay in this till you ask for the upgrade. Frustration is the awareness that there's an increase waiting for you to ask. 
Are you with me? You hear me? So therefore, frustration must turn to celebration of God's intent. See, in the hands of the enemy, it robs me of my enthusiasm. It blinds me to all the possibilities of the one true spirit. I become disheartened, looking for pity, for sympathy, seeking other people who are as discouraged as I am. I give permission in my, in my frustration, I give my permission to be more afflicted. Now, frustration can cause negative fellowship because I'm moving in the opposite spirit to Christ within me. But it also can be that in the hands of the shining one, it's pointing me towards fullness. The reality of something more, greater success unfolding. How many of you feel frustrated? Some of you are lying. You're so frustrated you won't even put your hand up. Frustration, what is its signal? You need an upgrade. 1.0 you is not enough. You need 2.8 or whatever, you know. All right? And it's here today. He has allowed you into a place of frustration to give you an abundance of increase. He has not brought you here for poverty. He's brought you to this place for abundance. Ask the right thing. You lack love? Ask for love. You're lacking patience? Expect Him to give you His patience. You lack joy? The joy of the Lord is outside of you. He wants to give it to the inside of you and not connected to your circumstances. Will you stand with me? What the enemy intends for good, God what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good in your life. I know that in all things God causes to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This frustration is his purpose for the upgrade. It is you admitting, I don't have enough in my current circumstances, but I know where to get it. Depression is saying, I disconnect. Disillusionment can lead you to the upgrade, but it also could lead to depression. It's a choice that you make. A crushed spirit will not endure an overcoming life. It will not become an overcoming life. And so the Lord is here to upgrade your spirit. Would you, would you close your eyes with me? If this is making sense to you, you realize I, I'm aware I need more. Then would you say these words to me? Lord Jesus, in my frustration, I open my heart I make myself vulnerable. I need an upgrade. I'm aware that I need increase. So I receive the upgrade. I receive the upgrade by faith in Jesus' name. Now look, all you have to do is ask. He does it. But then you have to step into the river. You keep saying, there's nothing but problems in my life, then you're denying the river. You keep saying, ah, nothing has changed, then you're denying the river. The truth is, it has changed, but now you have to change. By faith, the obedience that God really cares about is faith. The truth is, everything, when you go home to heaven, will be sight. This is your only chance to live by faith. And this pleases God. Trust, faith, awesome gifts that God longs for from his children. Lord, we see what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.